Yesterday we were looking at the structure of attention. We've been talking about the difference between the active and the receptive aspects of the practice. Active, the awareness is actively sent out to seek out the object of awareness and hold it. Receptive, the awareness is simply sensitive and the object comes to us. We talked about it, the way Mahasi expresses it, he talks about noting and noticing. Noting is the active aspect, go out, and noticing is the receptive aspect, we let it come to us. And yesterday we practiced with a kind of halfway house where we send the awareness out and study the, the object, but we also cultivate a sensitivity towards the state of the mind that's doing it and in the final exercise we held we were holding the attention steady but allowing different things to come and go um, through that Um, so we're we're playing around with the structure of attention and today we'll take it another step further and we'll go back into pure noticing pure receptivity and play with that Um, but the particular way that we're going to do it is something extremely basic Uh, these these kinds of what we called yesterday open awareness practices um, you find them throughout Buddhist traditions and in Mahayana there's, there's a fair amount of marketing about how highly advanced they are so Zongchen, Mahamudra Shikantaza uh, these are presented as very high level advanced practices and obviously if you do them, if you're not enlightened you're well on the way Uh, the way we're going to play with it today is one way that the Buddha talks about this in which it's not an advanced meditation practice, in fact it's not even a meditation practice so when we do this exercise today we will not be meditating so you will not be establishing your meditation posture what we're going to do is indriya sangvara restraining the senses and (coughs) this this is such a foundational practice that when the Buddha talks about it, he places it not in meditation, bhavana, but in sila. And if you look at the texts on the gradual training, this, restraining the senses, comes just before the beginning of formal meditation practice. And apparently the original context would be if you ordained as a monk or a nun in the Buddha's time, before you started when you're doing your boot camp training, before you start on your meditation practice, this is one the practice that you do. And it's, this would prepare you for a meditation practice. Uh, and this is how the Buddha talks about it. He's describing the practitioner and he's talking about the relationship to the six senses. On seeing a form with the eye, she does not hold on to its themes and features. Since if she left the eye faculty unguarded, Um, evil unwholesome states of longing and sorrow might invade her 
She practices the way of its restraint. She guards the eye faculty. She undertakes the restraint of the eye faculty. On hearing a sound with the ear, she does not hold on to its themes and features. On smelling an odour with the nose, she does not hold on to its themes and features. On tasting a flavour with the tongue, she does not hold on to its themes and features. On touching an object with the body, she does not hold on to to its themes and features. On knowing a phenomenon with the mind, she does not hold on to its themes and features since if she left the mind faculty unguarded, evil, unwholesome states of longing and sorrow might invade her, she practices the way of its restraint, she guards the mind faculty, she undertakes the restraint of the mind faculty. This is how the Buddha talks about this practice. And you notice that the whole thing revolves around themes and features, and the relationship with themes and features. In Pali, this is nimitta and anubhyajana, um, nimitta is usually translated sign and we've already talked about it with that translation here I translated as theme I think I got this from Timisro um, but I think it fits and it's all about how the senses operate so if you think about the eyes if you pay attention to what the eyes do what they do is they're constantly scanning the visual field they're, so they're quite active go do, 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 check 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 this out check 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 and ve- they're very sensitive of course to movement there's a bit of movement up ah, the eye goes there what's that what's that what's that um, the theme indicates the general impression of the sense object when we first notice it so what's distinctive about it what draws us in so the what's that response Uh, features are the details that appear when we go in and examine the object more closely and start to chew it over to get a sense of what's going on and to try to extract something from it Um, and themes and features pull us into an entanglement with the experience. So we react to it. Vedana comes in. We respond. We like it. We don't like it. We want to do something with it. We want to get something from it. We want to lose something through it. So we get entangled with the sense experience. And this is called the um, unwholesome states of longing and sorrow which is basically um, craving, tanha. So um, we've talked about how this works in, in seeing. Something will grab the eye and the, the eye is scanning the field and then something will grab it and it'll hold the attention. Now just then, as my eyes were scanning the audience, they hit upon Rene's orange sock and it went bang (laughs) and there was a a moment when the eyes just fixated on that orange sock theme now let's say that this really grabbed my attention and I start to examine it then features that looks really weird 
So it totally contrasts with the sober black and grey of everything else. I wonder if it was an accident. <laughs> so I start to chew it over and the mind starts to work the experience and liking, disliking, interest, disinterest, what's in it for me, etc. I start to get entangled with it. You see how the process works? So you can see it with the eyes with beauty and ugliness. The eyes will scan the, the, the field. If the eye strikes something that's perceived as ugly, it'll go, ooh, what's that? And get entangled. Ugh, it's awful. Or equally with beauty, ooh, what's that? Ooh, that's really nice. And start to get entangled. So the senses are, for the Buddha are active and they're going out and scanning their respective fields something strikes the sensitivity oh that's of interest that's the nimitta the theme and then we get drawn in and start chewing it over and what's the Pali for the features? A-N-U A-N N for Nelly U and then B-Y-A-N and the N has the curly thing on top J-A-N-A What's this, what, what's this called, the, uh, what do you call this, in general, the Pali term for the... Uh, it's uh, Indriya Sangvada. So Indriya, as in the faculties, I-N-D-R-I-Y-A. Sangvada is S-A-M with the dot underneath. And then V long A-R-A. Um, now this works the same with all the senses take the mind for example a thought arises thoughts are constantly arising these are all little bits of mental stuff that the mind keeps throwing up and then one of these the uh, attention will go to it and seize upon it so, for example, there's an image of something that happened or something that might happen or something that is happening that shouldn't. In other words, something irritating. Um, and the awareness goes bang, straight to it. Um, it has been known, I'm sure it doesn't happen in this hall, but it has been known that meditators in meditation halls their minds are often stimulated in this way by the behaviour of their fellow meditators. <laughs> Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen These are advanced and highly economist meditators. And I'm sure no aversion has arisen regarding the behaviour of our fellow inhabitants of this meditation hall. But if it did happen, you would notice how there'd be something arising in the First of all, in one of the physical sense fields, hearing or seeing, most obviously. Smelling. Smelling as well. <laughs> You've got to tell me about this later. Uh, <laughs> and then, or, or, or say, in, in, in the mind, a thought arises. Now, if this grabs the attention. This is the theme. And the theme here will be one of irritation. This should not be happening. 
and the awareness would go to that and start to expand it and turn it into a story. What the hell does he or she think they're doing? Where do they think they are? Were they born yesterday? This is supposed to be for experienced meditators. Blah, 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 blah. And this story of irritation and aversion this begins to unfold. Now you notice that when this happens, you, we fill in the details and then there's a particularly juicy bit and we move on, then we stop and we go back and we chew over that bit again because that was really good. Um, that got me really riled up and then we move on and there's another particularly irritating bit so we come back and chew over that. So this chewing over the experience, this is the uh, anubhyajana, the, the features. So the theme is the initial impression, what draws us in. And the features are the way that we chew over it and the more we chew over it, the greater the agitation within the chitta. Sorry, do you say the features are the rate at which we chew over it? No, the, the features are the details. Uh, and, and we often find ourselves kind of going back and chewing over the same bit because it's particularly juicy. But you, you, you can understand easily the pleasant things while we chew over it mm. because it's pleasant. Mm. We get how do you explain chewing over unpleasant things? Um, having experienced a bit of that myself, <laughs> having experienced a bit of that myself, I could just speak for myself, and basically it gives me an enormous sense of satisfaction <laughs> in two closely related ways. One is it's the satisfaction of being right when everyone else is wrong. So it's pleasurable. And there's a pleasure in that. But also I feel more real. When I'm doing that, and in certain circumstances, depending on how angry I am, I also feel very feel very powerful. There's a sense of power that comes. So it's a kind of power that I'm like craving for life. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Crave, craving for existence is is the first one would be Yeah, like craving for pleasures. Yeah. Can the theme for the mind be a rejection of something else? Mm. rather than an attraction. Yeah, but, uh, but the attention goes to that rejection. Yeah. So there's an attraction yeah. to the rejection. Yeah. So we're talking about the movement of the senses. Mm. Any, other, any other questions? Mm. Now, not holding on to themes and features. What is this? What does it mean in practice? This is a practice of radical relaxation. Uh, basically, if I look at the way this whole process of themes and features, all of it involves work. It's active. Think, 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 think. <clears throat> look, look, look. Like, 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 like. Dislike, dislike, dislike. Etc. It's all active. I'm doing it. It's quite actually. A, after a few hours of this, I feel quite exhausted. And I need to take a break. Um, not holding on to themes and features is just relaxing. So this practice, what it focuses on, is the work required to maintain this entanglement. It's active. It's energetic. It's too much work. I'll just let it go. I'll just drop it and relax. So 
it, uh, the, we learn to receive whatever comes through any of the six senses accept it relax and let it go so this practice is one of not doing anything and, as, and what I discover as soon as I start to do it is that the determination to do something with the experience is really strong so it keeps coming up but as soon as it comes up I recognise the doing and I drop it and I just relax does that make sense? so this is what we're going to play around with with just three of the senses uh, now we're doing this according to Buddha's instruction so it's not meditation so do not take up a meditation posture you can stand sit, walk around, lie down basically do whatever you like uh, I'm, I'm restricted to this area because I've got the recorder so I, so I won't be wandering around uh, and also do not close your eyes because we're going to work with seeing so it's difficult with your eyes closed you kind of miss a lot <laughs> uh, some people like to look out windows and whatever you can do whatever, basically we're not meditating so just do anything and um, relax just relax don't, don't be doing anything just relax open your awareness to the body uh, don't work to focus on any particular part of the body so just feel the body uh, maybe the uh, body awareness is kind of moving around but let it move around just spontaneously just feel the body don't do anything just be here When you feel 
awareness moving towards an object to do something with it. Relax. Don't do anything. Just be. Are you seeing? Bring awareness to your eyes. Relax your eyes. Receive sights. When you find your, your awareness moving towards something, to look at it, relax. Come back to your eyes. Don't look, just see. Are you hearing? 
and bring awareness to your ears. Relax your ears. Receive sounds. When you find your awareness moving towards something, to listen to it, relax. Come back to your ears. Don't listen, just hear. Are you thinking? Bring awareness to your mind. Relax your mind. Receive thoughts. When you find your awareness moving towards something, to think it, relax. Come back to the mind. Don't think, just know that there are thoughts.
You can go back to meditating now. <laughs> Katie, you look exhausted. <laughs> That's quite a common reaction. And did you do any sloth and torpor? I did, and then I realised it's not quite the point. <laughs> so I resumed this, but the not doing of things is quite difficult. Ooh. For me, anyway. Anybody else? It's harder than doing. Anybody else have difficulty? Say so you simulated it, does that mean you were doing it? I was doing it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if, I, if I hadn't done it, I would have focused on something. If you hadn't done it, you would have done it. Yes. <laughs> you would have done something else. <laughs> That's one of the things about this, this exercise is it is so hard to drop doing. <laughs> I, I found seeing uh, this one as well. Mm. It, it was, it's so automated to yeah, like you said, pull focus on something. Mm. But with hearing and thinking, I don't know, I train myself to the other sort of, I think, just let it kind of roll in without having to attach to things. So it was difficult to do it in the scene, but the hearing and the thinking was easier. Easier. Mm. And that's, you think, because of prior training? Mm, or, or maybe because of the mechanism of sight and what it tries to do. Mm, so you're not sure, in other words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. When we when I did a retreat with Upandita many years ago in Bhutan, anyway, um, it was a real he was saying all the time. I never quite get it. He said he was saying something like, "What is it when the mind doesn't go out or doesn't come in?" Mm-hmm. I, as far as I understand that now, it is what you're talking about. It's not doing, it's not going out, mm. going on to anything. It's not coming in internally. 
Mm. Uh, as well, like rather externally oriented. Mm. Yeah. Wants to. He definitely wants to. Do one or the other. Did anybody find a sense of ease? Yeah, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me about the ease. Uh, <laughs> well, I started by accessing my inner lazy sloth, mm-hmm. <laughs> and every time like an object would come up, I think, oh, I can't be bothered, and it would be as clear as clear, mm. and uh, uh, I can't be bothered. I'm just going to chill. You know? mm. And then I thought, no, I can't even bother to chill because it's doing something. <laughs> so, you know, I thought, oh, yeah, not doing, just, you know, being. And, uh, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> just, it was very relaxing. <laughs> I feel very relaxed. Mm, good. I found the hearing easy because I've... Uh, <clears throat> I've got really strong tinnitus. Mm-hmm. I've just trained myself over the years not to, not to go there mm. as a meditation object. Mm. <clears throat> but the other senses were harder. Mm. What about mind? Not thinking, but just knowing these thoughts. How did that go? That was the easiest. Mm. That was the easiest. Mm. It wasn't as clear to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. No. I that was the hardest yeah, for you. What was the easiest for you? The seeing. Uh-huh. I think because I practice that when I walk, mm-hmm. I do the headless way kind of thing. Yeah. And it just so you, where you're just letting it kind of come through you. Mm. It's interesting. That sense of modality easier because you've been practicing it. I suspect you've been practicing it with thinking, hence mm-hmm. easier. Practicing it easier. It's difficult when we're not used to it, but like anything else, we can train ourselves. But the thing about this particular form of training, it's a training in not doing. Um, And when I do not doing, basically what I do is I set myself the task of noticing any doing. It's like I become, I seek to become sensitive to activity. And as soon as I notice it, I let it go. Like we were talking about this morning with the stretching. And sometimes I can and sometimes I can't let it go. But the project is notice activity, notice doing. And when you notice it, relax. So it's a, it's a constant letting go and relaxing. The awareness becomes, in my experience, very acute because the mind and the senses are constantly doing. Mm. And so it just becomes, wow, it's just, it just becomes very clear. Uh, I find it especially interesting in the mind. So we did this as, you know, I said, don't meditate. Um, because presenting it, partly because that's the way the Buddha presents it. But I, I've, I do this as a formal meditation practice. So I will sit down in the meditation posture and my project will be to sit there and don't do anything. Mm. And as soon as I notice myself doing something, drop it, relax. And I find, and actually I found this here, as when I start doing this practice, I become acutely sensitive to posture. Mm. Because if the posture's out, the body's tightening. Mm. It's working. And I become aware of that 
And the only way that the body can relax is if it comes back into balance and then can relax. So I find this practice makes me very much aware of posture um, because that's the only way that the body can minimise its doing is, is by being balanced. And so when I move, if I do this in moving meditation, the movement is generally tends to become graceful for the same reason. There's minimum doing in the movement. The mind um, becomes peaceful uh, because there's minimum doing, uh, but it's not a it's not a particular samadhi state because I'm not trying to do samadhi. I'm not doing anything, but everything starts to come down, and it's a wide open kind of awareness which I find quite interesting so if something grabs your attention like with the looking I was I was scanning the room mm. trying not to look mm-hmm. <laughs> and Buddha every time I passed they grabbed me like the impulse was there look Mm. And it's like, so it's like catching that before it happens, or uh, you catch it when it happens. It's like you notice the activity of it. What you're focused on here isn't the object, but the activity, the yeah. work involved. So it, it, it caught me, and so do I went, no, we're not doing that. Mm. So you might keep your eyes in the same direction towards the Buddha, right? But you just There's relax. Soft focus. Yeah. So and, and it does come out as a soft focus. Yeah. Yeah. People often experience. Sometimes people say the eyes go out of focus, yeah. but certainly the, the, the focus becomes soft. Sometimes people say, for example, looking out the window, when they look, everything's quite clear and sharp, but with this, everything becomes like a bit below. Out of focus. Yeah, because they're not. Activate peripheral vision. Yeah, and that's another thing which which can happen. Peripheral vision becomes more more open. Which is associated with. aspects of the of, of, of attention and how the mind is structured and just working on that particular but aspect. We're doing this consciously, yeah. whereas it's a kind of byproduct yeah. of practice. Yeah. Really yeah. It's great to focus on. Okay. I think one of the difficulties I had relates to something that um, Marion said when she said, do we do it before? And we said, no, you catch it when it's happening. Mm. I think I was trying to prevent it. Yeah, so you were actively trying to prevent action. Yes. Yeah. You were doing to prevent doing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, of course, another form of doing. Yeah. But it does show you how deep the doing goes. Yeah. I'm not supposed to be doing, so I better do this. <laughs> <laughs> so it becomes incredibly complicated. And sometimes people do experience this as just being mind bogglingly complicated. Yeah. But it's complicated because we haven't let go of the doing. Once you let go of the doing, it's like, ah, oh, it's just, there couldn't be anything simpler. 
This, uh, you can use this as a formal practice. And when I read about these advanced non-dual Mahayana whatevers, um, and usually this is what they're talking about, um, you can, but it's also very good for daily activity, uh, where you're not, you're not doing a formal meditation practice, and there's nothing to do, except, let's say I'm walking from here to the hall, there's only one thing I have to do, and that's to walk from here to the hall. But if I'm paying attention, I notice, actually, that's not enough. The minds, the senses have got to do lots of other things along the way. Well, actually, I don't have to do any of that. I can just relax and walk to the dining hall. That's it. Nothing extra. And when, the, when I notice the determination to do something extra, oh, no, too much work. Can't be bothered. Drop it. Just relax. So it's, it's quite simple. It's radically simple. And when you hit it, it's like it's really nice because it's ah, just relaxing. I just don't have to do any of this. But it's tricky because I find myself trying to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It sort of clicks in on a long walk sometimes. And it's all, you're just moving yeah. through space. Mm. Something is... Yeah. Mm. Yep. That's how I feel after a retreat. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Is that I'm just walking around, just not having to not meditate, not having to meditate. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So you can relax the effort, but all of those uh, mental qualities you're cultivating during the retreat, they're, they're operating. Uh. So you, uh. so it's like you're getting it's the it's the afterglow, but here. So like try to tune into it during the retreat. And you notice that, uh, you know, I've been talking about, the Buddha presents this before meditation. I've waited a week before presenting it. Because it's easier to get a sense of it when you've had the momentum built up through the practice. Uh, the context that the, talk, the Buddha talks about with this is especially with the arms round. With the Arms round. Oh. for the monks and the nuns mm-hmm. so the monks and the nuns ordain and they go off, they live in a sheltered workshop where they can focus on their meditation practice but the way the Buddha set the system up is once a day they have to engage with lay society uh, and so that's the danger time when you do that don't just relax you're not trying to push the evil lay society away you're just not getting involved you just relax which is very interesting you know faced with sin and and temptation what should you do just relax sin is just too much effort (laughs) 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 that's very interesting (laughs) lucky you That's the secret of my virtue. Oh. A lazy man's virtue. <laughs> strange yeah. to be receiving and not, not to be saying, oh, thank you, thank you, oh, thank you very much. Oh, actually, I've, no, don't put that in my bowl, put that in my bowl. No, you're not supposed to do that. No, it's just, just receiving. Don't, don't look at them, don't say anything. It's, 
I find it very, very odd being on arms round. Mm. Mm. It's very interesting, though. And that's the other thing. With When sense restraint is presented in meditation retreats, um, the way, and I've worked in Zen and in Theravada, and it's being presented in the context of a retreat in exactly the same way, don't look around. Mm. Keep your eyes down, don't listen to anything, Shut. You know, create your own little bubble and stay within that bubble. And this is sensory strain. Now you notice, that's not the way the Buddha talks about it. He, you know, sure, open up, look around. But don't do anything with it. That's the, it's, it's different. You're not trying to shut anything out. You're open to everything, but, you, but you're not going out to get involved. Because as soon as you notice yourself going out, ah, oh, too much work, drop it. So, uh, is the term choiceless awareness used by actually no, no, that was that, that term was invented by Krishnamurti, ah. and then it was taken up, became very fashionable. Okay, yeah. But the term itself comes from Krishnamurti. But you can see that this is mm. where it's but it, coming. Would you, from. would you say that um, uh, you know, now we've studied John Kabat-Zinn's uh, operational definition of mindfulness, which is something like uh, the awareness that comes from moment to moment attention and non-judgmentally or something like mm-hmm. that. Would you say that that's what this is? It's not really... What he's describing isn't really mindfulness, he's describing senseless trait. Yeah, it's closer to that, yeah. Not, it's not quite that, but um, it's, it's getting closer. He's, I mean, what really that so-called op- definition of mindfulness is really a very good definition of a particular style of meditation practice yeah. that so he finds. Mm. But if you look at it like you were describing, it's not necessarily the best Mahamudra meditation. At the other end, it's simply sensuous practice. And that's the other thing about these very simple practices. Sensory straight, also um, sampajanya, clear understanding, which the Buddha associates always with mindfulness, and which if, you, if you're in a uh, meditation, Mahasi-style meditation retreat, is again very basic. Um, but uh, mindfulness and clear understanding, the Buddha will also talk about in terms of the context of it being a very advanced practice in, in some suttas. And basically it's the same practice. The simplest basic kindergarten practice, mm-hmm. the most profound advanced practice, is in fact the same practice. It's the same practice all the way through. It's just that we get better at it, <laughs> basically. But it's the same practice. You get able to wring more out of it. Yeah, squeeze it's more out of it. <laughs> it's interesting that it's sort of referred to as sense restraint, and yet it's actually sort of enhancing... Yeah. and because what's what um, for the Buddha the sense well it's the the indriya sangvada the restraint of the faculties uh, here the faculties is translated as sense restraint but actually it's faculties but these faculties in this context are the faculties of the senses now if you look at this word indriya it's derived from indra and indra is one of the old Vedic gods. And he's like, he's the equivalent of the captain coach of a footy team. Mm. Uh, Indra is, is, is a war god. 
and he lives in this big castle in the sky and he's a big buffy bloke think of you know rugby league and he gets up in the morning and what he wants is a bit of biffo (laughs) so he gathers his mates and they're all in the castle and he's the leader they leap on their horses put on their weapons and they charge up looking for a fight and fortunately the asuras are there ready for all geared up and ready to go (coughs) and so they spend all day hacking and bashing and biffing and and attacking the, the Asuras and they win every day they win so they're really pleased and they go home and they feast and they eat and they drink and they party and then they crash oh, out <laughs> and then they wake up again and let's do it again <laughs> and this is Indra's life but he's, he's, he leads from the front so an Indriya is, is an action, an activity that leads from the front, that's going forward. So you have the indriyas of faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, the five indriyas, because these are the mental qualities that go in front towards awakening. And the Buddha says, and this is the aspect of the senses that he's looking at, this idea that the senses go out they head out to engage and that's the aspect of the senses that's being restrained. So it's the restraint of the action of going out. There's no English equivalent. The intention is bound up with it. Intention, activity, effort, the whole thing, but the whole, the active aspect of the senses. So it's not that you're trying to shut down the senses, but the senses have two aspects, the going out and the receptive. If you drop the going out and you just have the receptive, you, it, it is an opening out. And because you're paying attention to that, it becomes even stronger. Like a peeling away. Yeah. There's that expression, keep your eyes peeled. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. Um. If one's restraining successfully, mm-hmm. would you say the result is a little bit like equanimity? Yeah. Like equanimity. equanimity. Yeah, because first of all, it's regarding all constructions, all formations. Mm. We notice because it's all the six senses, mm. uh, and it and reactivity drops away because all reactivity is action, is activity. And it, so it's also, um, I would imagine the Buddha spoke about it as a protective um, measure. Yeah, so he says guarding mm-hmm. the mind. Non-harming. Yeah. And it, and it involves mindfulness. Your mindfulness has to be really good to do this, or alternatively, when you do this, you really cultivate mindfulness strongly. But of course, if you cultivate mindfulness, you cultivate equanimity because they go together. So it, it's closely associated with equanimity. But do you think it's different than, you know, I don't know which one it is, in the, dumb, dumb in the uh, mindfulness of phenomena domain, mm-hmm. they have uh, six senses, mindfulness of the six senses, mm-hmm. and also they quote, it's quoted. Mm. Yeah, very. Yeah. Do you think this is 
same as that, in, in, case, in which case it is actually a mindfulness activity, like um, uh, in that, you know, in the Dharma Pasana Sattvatthana, the day, I think it's that's the, yeah. That's the, yeah, working with the senses, yeah. yeah. Is, it, is it the same? I think so. I think this is just, the way he's expressing it here is this is like what he's explaining to people when they're just starting out with it. Mm-hmm. But as I said, what, often what you see is in different contexts, it's really the same practice, but talked at from different, talked about from different angles and developed to different depths. But really, the practice is the same. But you can talk about it in different ways depending on context. But um, it's definitely mindfulness. And when you look at what he says. Um, since if she left the eye faculty unguarded, well, what's uh, or unprotected? One of the when he talks about mindfulness, he talks about the function of mindfulness to guard, to protect the senses. So mindfulness is implied. Um, unwholesome states of longing and sorrow might invade her. Surrendering longing and sorrow for the world, she lives tracking bodies. Body, it's the same expression. Uh, so that tendency to to go for something is craving. Yeah. yeah. So it really puts you right in touch with craving. Mm. It's right on the... It makes makes craving really oh, evident. Really We've got all this vision out, these hordes of galloping energy <laughs> galloping out through all my sense doors, you know, <laughs> making, being all very excited. And looking for bifo. And drama. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we definitely want drama. I mean, why else is opera, soap opera so popular? Got to have a bit of drama. Yeah. So, um, you become aware of craving things because that's the sort of um, reaching out mm. for something. And because Vaden is sort of an integral part of mm. seeing something, would you be kind of aware that you were drawn to some Vaden or something? I'm just not quite. I guess it's the prevention versus noticing thing that I'm... Could you elaborate? Well, it sort of goes contact, which includes Vedana and then craving, and Mm. that's where your action is. Contact, Vedana, craving. But the Vedana comes... With the contact. Yeah. With the contact? Yep. So this, you're preventing... You're preventing fully fledged contact, as it were. No, the craving. Mm-hmm. No. no, the contact's there, but the craving is. So see, that's where the non-doing is. Is in the because the contact is there, that means the Vedana is there. Yeah. So the non-doing is actually between the feeling and the craving, craving a non-acting on craving. Yeah. yeah. And craving, when the Buddha talks about craving, he talks about its restless quality. Who talks about it? Its restless quality. So if you look at craving, you notice how the mind will, will, will move from one thing to another to another. I want this, 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 this. Uh, and what's consistent throughout is the, the sense, what I call a sense of urgent necessity, which accompanies craving. But the object of craving is constantly moving. I want this, no, I want that. Changing, yeah. So, uh, so craving has this restless energetic quality to it 
So, so here you're addressing that not by in terms of the object of craving, but in terms of the energetic feel of it. And you're bringing in your dharmic laziness. It's, it's like it's just not worth the effort. So just relax. So this is giving Chetna a chance by recognising the between faculty and sense in that moment you can actually intercept and do something around. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, not the yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like it's in, once you get get in, all of these different qualities, these different mental factors, can become apparent as being as playing some part in the drama. Mm-hmm. In practice, for each individual meditator, one meditator will notice this aspect. Like one meditator might notice the chaitanya, and then and then it becomes a chaitanya exercise. Another meditator might notice the vedana, so it becomes for them it's a vedana exercise. Another meditator notices something else. For them, it's that that's the that defines the exercise. But they're all there, and they're all playing their part. So I recommend it to you as a daily activity practice, and also if you want to play with it as a formal practice, it's also quite interesting. Of course, you can do exactly the same practice throughout, both formally and daily activity. Um, so again, what we're doing is presenting possibilities. So this is a possibility. Uh, it's not compulsory. If you, if this doesn't appeal as something worth doing, don't bother with it. Just keep doing what you're doing. But if this feels like it could be useful or interesting to explore, go ahead and explore it. Patrick, yeah. Uh, so one of the exercises we did yesterday, we were looking at the movement of awareness mm. as the objects came away. Mm. Have you been doing that? Um, is that doing? Well, noticing, isn't it? Yeah, because the awareness does move from object to object. So here, I think in, in both cases we're just letting it move. Like yesterday maintaining a posture of attention and just letting the awareness move and this is very very similar it may be in practical terms you can't tell the difference One, yesterday I felt a bit more like it was going on the same part moved or it moved mm-hmm. so it was uh, kind of more like a nosing it's like gotcha yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. great because that's that's the way you're training yourself to notice it it's like you've got to uh, we're always uncovering what previously we had not seen. So in that case, you're, you're, you're doing that by having this project of I'm going to notice that movement. I'm going to notice when the awareness goes somewhere. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And it's a very interesting exercise because it's making you sensitive to those movements. So that the day will come where you don't have to make a big thing of it. Gotcha, you just see it. It'll just be obvious. But at the moment, when you start, you, you, it's, a, it's a deliberate project. You're training yourself to notice it. You notice what people were saying. Oh, yes, I could do it in this modality, but not that modality, because I had practiced it before. If you practice it, it becomes natural. There we um, The thing that I get very distracted with is sounds. Mm. Like my mind goes... Straight away, you know, what was that? Like the bird sound or whatever. So if I practice this with that, mm. the sound, mm. sort of relax 
Hmm. Yeah. So you might, you might, for example, choose to practice it just with sound yeah. and not bother about the other ones because that's particularly problematic or particularly yeah. interesting. Yeah. When you do that, you would notice the, the impermanence of self, dukkha nature of the self. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a noticing quality rather than a noting quality. Yeah. So if you're doing this with the mind, and there's images and things coming up in your... <clears throat> and you're not noting them, you're just sort of letting them be. Mm. How can you not attach it? <laughs> mm, yeah. and, or how can you how can you just let them be and not be doing vipassana? Well, maybe that is vipassana. Maybe the letting them be is vipassana. But it's a non-active vipassana. So the images wouldn't take on a life of their own? Not if you're not getting entangled with them. Which reminds me, how many people felt that they could successfully relax the mind? Yeah? Yeah. How many many of you thought, what the hell does that even mean? I find that one really interesting. It's it's like... um, the, the, the mind is a sense activity, it's a sense, so it's a sensitivity, but it also has its corresponding activity. If there's an activity, it should be able to relax it. So can I relax the mind? Much, I mean, <coughs> relaxing the other senses is also relaxing the mind, isn't it? I had, I had this moment where I, I looked at Blake's notes, and I could sense the possibility of getting interested in the way he was writing, and I just dropped it. Mm. But very much like, and that, that was a mental mm. thing. It was a visual thing, but also the mental thing. Mm. With, um, let's say, relaxing the eyes and the ears, they have location. Mm. So you can find them in order to relax them. Right. So bring your awareness to your eyes. Well, I can, you know, I can, mm. I know where they are. But where's the mind? receptive awareness is there also um, space for occasional just light naming of things yeah just to if you want to to to, to uh, reduce the floundering <laughs> mm, yeah uh, you, you you work out your own way of doing it um, you don't 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 obey orders um, it's like you're this is a different way of relating to the experience. And you, you, so once you start to play with it, you start to modify it to, according to your circumstances, how you can actually explore this and what you can do with it. It's much more important than rigidly following orders. That isn't sort of a bit of... Naming feels like doing something. It is doing something. But it kind of just stops the chaos just for a moment, slows it all down. Yeah. The Buddha has the expression using a thorn to extract a thorn. So, in this case, using activity to drop activity. It's right effort. Yeah, it's being an example of right effort.
Hugh, did you want to? Oh, I mean, yeah, the first two exercises, I felt like I was, I had some understanding what we were doing there, but I was aware of the commentary in the mind all the mm-hmm. time, saying, am I doing it right? Mm-hmm. Even when I felt that the gaze was soft, mm-hmm. it was still that commentary all the time in the mind, so then when we came to the mind, commentary is still there about the commentary <laughs> <laughs> in that case you might want to just do it in, in the, with the physical senses keep it simple so you get a feel for it in the physical senses and once that's established you might be able to do it in the mind as well because as Rene was pointed out you actually cannot r- relax the, sense, the physical senses without relaxing the mind the mind has to relax when you're relaxing the senses so, but you might just stay, stick to the physical senses, and not just not worry about the mind until you get a, a clearer sense of what's going just, on. Just let thoughts, yeah. Just let it run. Yeah, just let it run. Too much effort to try to get rid of them. I'm not trying to be too theological, but doing nothing is doing something, isn't it? Yeah, you could so, say. You know, it becomes yeah, circular. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's all right. Circular. <laughs> yeah. I often forget the names of things, and I, I've always wondered whether it was dementia or not. <laughs> but, um, I don't think it, it is dementia because it's always been there. I can never remember names of people or mm. things and so on. It's called anomia, one another. But um, when I'm meditating, sometimes I'll try to think of something. I, there'll, there'll be a thought to come up. What's that name? And I notice it, and the effort to try to remember the name mm. and I literally let it go mm. so maybe that's reinforcing my dementia mm. <laughs> but, but it's, uh, it's that practice of letting it's, it, there's, a, there's an urge there's a, a desire to want to know the name of something mm. but I notice the urge and I let it go yeah. Yeah. And that, that urge to name is really fundamental mm. and in fact one of the terms the Buddha uses for mind is nama, which literally means name, mm-hmm. and it's the process of naming an experience. So nama rupa is, you know, how the nama. What's that mean? Nama rupa. It's name, name, and form, or something. Uh, rupa is form in the sense of, in its original sense of visual form. Mm-hmm. In other words, how something appears to the eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ajahn Sujata's translation of Nama Rupa, which I think is sheer genius, is named appearance. Mm. So something appears and we name it. And that's when we're doing that all the time. But often it's translated name and form. Uh, Sometimes it's the old translation was mind and body, but that's, I think, misses the point. Not to be able to know what something is, that goes into the neither um, positive nor negative. Mm-hmm. And then it just agitates. Like, I, I have that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as so hard to sort of just say, look, you don't know, forget it, give it a fake name like an impossible. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's quite agitating not knowing. So does this mean that as you get older, the improbables increase? <laughs> 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 I 
Same people talk about don't mind. Yeah, that's. I was about. To, I was reminded of that. That's. Uh, there's one. Um, oh, what was it? This koan where the abbot is. Um, I think saying goodbye at the end of the retreat. They have three month retreats, and then the monks scatter. And uh, he was asking one. Asking, as saying goodbye to each one and like where do you plan to go and one of them says I don't know and the abbot says not knowing is most intimate <laughs> and that's the that's the that's the, the kind of flip side of that confusion yeah. it's the intimacy of not knowing when the emperor emperor Wu of the southern of southern China was interrogating Bodhidharma and who, who are you? Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, there, yeah, the, the, what, um, what's his name? Uh, I've adnomiated his name, the famous <laughs> Korean son teacher who went to the USA, Sung Sun, Sung Sun, Sunin. Um, just keep that don't know mind. But, you can't keep the don't know mind until you get to it. Yeah. And getting to it is can be quite a job. I think it was him who kept saying, what's this hmm. in his meditations right to the end, who claimed there was no other meditation, only what's this. Yeah, what's this is, is one of the basic columns they use in Korea. It's one of the most popular columns mm. in Korean. So, okay, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.